listening to The Currency, a podcast about the story of private business in America. Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm a brand and marketing strategist, and I am with Chris Jacobs today. He is the president and CEO of Star Headlight and Lantern Company. Chris, welcome to The Currency. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for hosting. I'm, I'm at the facilities here in Avon, New York. Uh, what do you guys say, like 70,000 square feet or 110, more? 110, actually. 110. Okay, you have to update the website. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I guess you better, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So you've got a 110 square foot facility. Do me a favor and for the audience sake, just tell us a little bit, what is Star Headlight? What do you guys do? What do you make? Uh, right these days, we are a fully vertically integrated manufacturing company. From hand lanterns, we sell lights to the railroads, to um, light bars for police cars. Um, we also sell um, amber light. That's called the amber market. We sell lights to the uh, utility vehicles, like tow trucks okay. and um, utility vans, like, you know, Comcast or Verizon or sure. whoever does your cable companies. A lot of those lights have our lights on top of them. And when you say fully integrated, that means you're manufacturing from beginning to end these systems that go on top of vehicles. Yeah, we we do everything. We very vertically integrated company. We have everything from molding machines to we do our own um, circuit boards, final assembly. We bend our own metal, and we do um, shipping out the door. So we do everything pretty much in house. That's a big deal. I would assume that a company like yours that is creating things like the light bars that go on top of emergency vehicles and cautionary lights that you're more of an assembler. I see companies that are not exactly the same space, but similar. And they're assembling, but they're not manufacturing everything. That is correct. A lot of companies in our industry are just assemblers, like you said. They'll just buy parts from somewhere else or buy them from overseas and then assemble them here and then ship them out. So we do everything in-house so we can kind of, you know, control our own destiny. So if we need to change things around or if we have a big order coming in, we got to make extra amount of parts we can do that right away we don't have to get into a schedule with somebody else we can just kind of do it right there yeah that's phenomenal what what drove that and i want to get in in a minute we'll get to the history because you're fifth generation correct owner in the jacobs family um but i want to get a little bit into like what drove the desire to be fully integrated or full of vertical Vertically integrated. integrated. Yeah, thank you. I think it was my father probably started that very, very vertically integrated. You know, my grandfather was also, that's when he used to make the lanterns. It was all handmade back sure, then. Sure, sure. And then we got into plastic and we did buy plastic parts. But I think over the years in our industry, it was easy for us, like I said, to control our own destiny. We can design our own stuff and um, build it in-house. So that was just our way of doing things. Okay. Now, you're in Avon, New York, and for listeners that are in the, the region, they know Avon, south of Rochester, but folks that are in all over the country, all over the world, Avon is a small rural community, probably half an hour, 45 minutes south of oh, the city of Rochester. Correct, yeah, agree? about a half hour, correct. Yeah, so if you're, I'm thinking about being vertic- vertically integrated, I'm thinking about the various components that go into one of these um, light bars. How is it finding uh, skilled work? men and women and people that have the technological background to support this. I would imagine it's a bit of a challenge. It's a bit, yeah, that's probably our biggest challenge is trying to find good employees. Um, we had to draw some people from the city, sure, which is sometimes hard because it's a very far drive for them. Especially in the winter. Especially here. in the wintertime, yeah, yes. We're, we get we're, not a, we're not a beach community. <laughs> no, <are> we? <laughs> we're in a snow belt where we live. <laughs> so it has been a challenge, but you know, the people we have have been great. We've had very a lot of long-term employees have been here. We've actually sure. some second or third generation people that work for our company wow. still. Um, but yeah, I would say employees are the hardest thing to, especially way out here, to come here and work for us. Sure. But 
You know, we do we we're good to our employees. We pay them, we pay them decently. We give them, you know, nice benefits, and it's just a nice place to work. Okay. You know, it's out in out in the country, as they say. You know, it's not no, no traffic, and it's a little bit easier living, I think, down here. Okay. So, Chris, let's talk a little bit about the history of the company. My understanding, it was founded in 1889. Correct, yes. And based on the website, it's, it says that there were five founders initially, um, and then your family uh, acquired the business. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? From what I've known and kind of hear about from, you know, my dad and, you know, my grandparents, yeah, it was five founding fathers and my, my great, great Great-grandfather, which is George Washington Jacobs. George Washington George Jacobs. Jacobs, that's great. I yeah. know. I think everybody's named George Washington back in the 1800s, seems like it. But he took, you know, he bought them out, and then we started in downtown Rochester just making lanterns, um, hand lanterns for the locomotives back then, and we also made the big headlights for the front of the locomotives. So these would be like kerosene? Yeah, everything was kerosene back okay. then, and everything was hand, you know, molded and whatever. Um, so then we... And then there was a fire back in, I don't know, I think it was early 50s, back downtown. We were downtown. 1850s? No, it was in the 1900s. Okay. There was a fire, and then we we were in a building downtown, then there was a fire in the building, then we moved somewhere else in downtown Rochester for a little while. I saw, like, you guys moved around a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. and then we moved to Hunter A. Falls in 1952. Okay. My grandparents moved out there in a very small building. They built, like, 10,000 square feet of the most, and they thought that would be all they needed forever. Sure. Um, And then, obviously, as the business grew, um, they needed more space, and then they put a couple additions on with my dad um, back when he was running the company. But then we were landlocked. So back in the 1950s, it was all open farmland where they were. But okay. um, my grandparents didn't have the vision to say, let's buy more land. They just bought what ah, they had. And so okay. we ran out of land. So we were able to build up to about 26,000 square feet. And then we started growing even more. And then we started renting space in another building in town um, in Honey Falls. Okay. And then after that, we found out this building was coming available um, was going up for sale, so we came down and took a look at it. It was really a perfect situation because we were just getting into plastic molding ourselves, and so they had all the equipment already set up for molding. So it was a perfect fit for us, and we moved here. We bought the building. We did. We put two additions on right away, um, and then we moved in about two thousand. Okay. So we've been here since about 2000. What do you know what this building was before you moved into it? Was it was a precise plastics. They did okay. a lot of it was just a ejection molding company. It was one of like four or five they had across the country. Sure. And they did different I think they used to make plastic gas lines back then and Okay. Um this facility I think lost I don't know if they lost a contract or something but they closed this facility down. Gotcha. So well, lucky for us that it was came up it was perfect setup for us. So yeah. cuz we were looking we were really looking to maybe build again building a new building at Honey Falls, but it was just, the cost was just astronomical. So we just said, yeah. this was a perfect setup for us. And Honeyway Falls is what, five, 10 miles down at the, the most, road. Yeah. 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 So it's a similar community. It's really picturesque, just to paint a picture for the folks listening. You know, I drove down and you, you come down, there's a railroad line that runs along mm-hmm. uh, the main artery, which is Route 15, which Route 15 goes all the way south, Pennsylvania, into Florida eventually. Yep. You, could, yep. you could drive into Florida from uh, Route 15. But uh, the huge grain silos and cornfields and some, you know, nice uh, turn-of-the-century big old homes and homesteads. 
And then you've got one one kind of industrial neighbor, really, which I, I noticed was gray metal products. Gray metal, yes. And then there's your yourselves just a few hundred feet down the road. But, and then Barilla's down the road that way, too. Right. So that so Barilla's an out-of-state... Are they are they an Italian company? Yeah, Italian okay. company. Yeah. And they opened up... Um, they make spaghetti, pasta. Yeah. Yep. And they opened up a factory here in yeah, Havana as well. Yeah, this is northeast, I guess, version is... I mean, comp- division is right here now. Wow. It's yeah. amazing. I know. It's interesting because you hear these businesses and you think, well, this must be this booming business community it's really a rural community with it really is three or four really nice uh companies yeah away yeah that's it's amazing. interesting yeah <laughs> so 2000 you guys moved into this um you've been working with the company since you were a young fella yeah how old were you when you started with the business oh geez probably back in high school you know i used yeah. to work summers sure of course yeah, yeah that's a common common Comics, story yeah, yeah. yeah yep so i started you know you know, back then, obviously, they went, you know, painted the side of the building or did like a lot of, you know, stuff inside, just building lights. Sure. And then I went to college. And then when I came back, I think around 93, 94. Okay. Came back and started working. I ran our railroad division for a number of years. Okay. Um, and then moved up to sales. And then when my dad was looking to, you know, he wanted to retire. So I bought him out in 2009. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's something. Yeah. And so you're fifth generation. Fifth generation. Yeah. So yep. you've been working here out of college. I mean, before college even, but you graduated school. And yeah, so did I've you ever go through a phase as an owner where you're like, I never want to work in the family business? Yes and no. You know, I when I first went to college, I wanted to, you know, work in New York. I thought okay. it'd be kind of a neat, neat life to New live York down. City. New York City, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this this was a great opportunity. I knew I wanted to eventually come back. I thought I wanted to do something else first, but sure. um, I think they were just kind of looking for a little help at the time. So it was a perfect time, perfect situation yeah. for me to come back. Yeah. So, yeah, it was nice. And here you are, right? And here yeah. I am, yeah. <laughs> 25 years. I think, yeah, because 25 years, I uh, celebrated 25 years last year. Congratulations. Yeah, thank That's you. That's amazing. Yep. Well, as I'm listening to you talk a little bit about the company, I hear, you know, okay, late 1800s, founders started, George Washington Jacobs buys them out. Uh, company goes through moves, through a fire, rebuilding, some more moves. You're here now, 2000. But one underlying theme I'm hearing is this growth. Oh, we kept running out of room. We had to get more space. Uh, and, and you start with these hand-molded kerosene lanterns for railroad and stagecoach. Or I don't know what yeah. they're going, right? Carriages. Yeah. And um, now you're doing stuff for police and uh, you're, you know, emergency response and all electronic. I mean, mm-hmm. LED, a lot LEDs. of technology. Yep. What do you attribute the the growth of the company to? And, and and I don't know, is there a theme that runs from the very beginning all the way to today? Or is there something that changed where you kind of really shifted gears and, and things started booming for you? How did that happen? It's interesting. I think we always looked at ourselves as a safety light company. So we started out, you know, we even had, we even sold barricade lights back in the um, eight. 1980s to 1990s. Okay. We were breaking the barricade lights, and then we just progressed into safety lights. And then in um, two, right around 2000, we bought this building. We bought a company in Florida, Southern Vehicle, okay. which was in the police market. That's how we really got in the police market. We were looking okay. to get in. We were kind of dabbling a little bit with some of our products, but we just didn't have the name or the customers. So we bought this sure. company that was going... You know, my dad was kind of friends with the owner, so he was looking okay. to get out. So we bought them and actually, you know, probably one of the only businesses that move a, floor, a, a company from Florida to New York State. So you relocate the business yeah. here. Yeah, we moved it wow. from up to here. As opposed, so folks that live in our region know a lot of folks go south. I mean, yeah. that's kind of almost a joke. You know, yeah. you become a snowbird and 
and, and especially business-wise, because the tax regime is very in New York strict. is much yeah. tougher than in Florida. So it's, it's a better place to be in Florida tax-wise. Yeah, yeah. So you guys moved them here. We moved them here, yeah. Why'd you do that? We were going to try to run out of two buildings. We were going to try to run these two separate companies for a while, but I don't know. I guess we just didn't feel comfortable with the people running it. Okay. When, you know, when we were digging into more and more of what they were doing, when we found just like, kind of like shady things they were doing. Okay. So we said, well... If we're going to do this, we got to control everything. So sure. we basically just moved all the um, equipment up here. A couple of their co- um, employees came to work with us for a while. Um, they didn't. They lasted about a year because they didn't like the winners. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then we just kind of just turned everything over here and just ran everything out of here. Okay. And it's been here ever since then. And we moved. You know, we've added on to that. We do you know sirens and speakers, and then like you're saying, we do light bars. We've had some new light bars coming out. They're okay. all LEDs. Is that so? So I have you guys to thank for those low profile. Yes. When I'm blasting between states to go visit clients and I'm trying to make time. Yep. That's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's called slick slick top. And I, police and I'm cars, like, yeah. I never saw like because you know when as a younger guy you kind of look for the big bubble. Yeah. You know you knew what to look for yeah. on the car yeah. and now I can't see them anymore. No. Now it's all hidden. Yeah. There's slick top cars they have they call them now. Yeah. So a lot of places are going to undercover lights and we were kind of one of the first ones to get into the undercover okay. light business. Um, obviously everybody else has kind of come into it also sure, too, but sure. we've we've kind of had a good niche on that for quite a while. Well, I'm here to attest. I'll go on record here. Uh, uh, they're effective. <laughs> I guess they, they are. Yep. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I got pulled over uh, about a year or two ago, going a little fast. And um, so I got in touch with my attorney and said, hey, Dave, can you help me with this ticket? You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then he got back to me and he goes, what were you thinking? I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I know I was going fast. No, no, not how fast you're going. It says here that when he asked you why why he pulled you over, you admitted to going to speeding. He goes, never admit to anything. It makes my job a lot harder when you admit that you. <laughs> That's right, you're speeding. But yeah. for me, it was like I know. I mean, what am I going to do? Lie to the guy? Yeah, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, you've you used an acquisition to get into that market. Correct. Is there? But is there? Are you guys really good at sales? Or like what? What is it that drives the growth? Because I can think of companies, other companies in our region, cities across the country that started 1800s and early 1900s and are not here today. Yeah, I think it's sales. And also, I think it's progression of you know new products. You know, okay. we have a good engineering staff upstairs um, okay. that really come out with new ideas, new products, and always trying to have, stay ahead of the technology and, and stay on the edge of the newest products. So sure. we have meetings once once a month about new products, and our sales guys come in twice a year. We have five regional sales guys. Um, so you sell direct. The, yeah, well, we have direct guys that work with distributors. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. that's how we work. And then we, we're getting into international. International is becoming a pretty big part of our business. So What's um, driving that? Driving the business? The, the international, like you're saying, that's becoming a big uh, source for you guys. Like, is there something unique about the international market that you're able to... I think just we've never been really over there before. Okay. And, you know, I've been traveling a lot to Europe for the last couple of years. And, nice. Um, we just, there's just a, need, a niche market out there we think we can get part of. So okay. we hired a really good rep group, or actually they're called a sales group, out of um, Westchester County. Okay. And they kind of cover the whole base of the world for us, pretty much, besides the United States and Canada. Sure, because they've and, got those relationships. And they got the relationships yeah. down there, and that yeah. really helps. And that's really kind of driving the newer, you know, progression of business. You know, I'm just trying to 
you know, where else can we go with what we sell now? You know, we're also looking at new products, but where else can we sell what we sell and we build so good here in, in the States or anywhere else? So we've had a good good luck over there. Well, it makes sense as I think about it from my framework as a marketer, you've got two options. I mean, you can innovate and, and find new products to sell to existing customers or, or to try to open up new markets. Mm-hmm. Or you, you can sell more of what you have to more people, find more customers. It sounds like you're doing both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're trying to do both. What does that product development process look like? Is it a very formal process of like we have a system or an approach that we use to develop and innovate? Or is it more of an informal, like we just really know our market, our folks are always keeping their finger on the pulse of what's going on and we try to experiment? It's kind of like a little bit of both. We, there was, we have a pulse of what new products we need to come out with, but we also, engineers will come out with, show us something neat that's, hey, what do you think of this? And we'll try to say, hey, well, can we put it into our light? Can we sell this? So I think it's a combination of both. Okay. So I think it's a good back and forth with, between our engineers and our sales team. Do you have a lot of, um, do you have a sense for, I guess I should ask, uh, success versus failures? Because I think of innovation, a lot of it to me is you've put stuff out there and test it, some of it doesn't fly, and every once in a while you get a hit. Yeah. I mean, has that been your experience? Yeah. I mean, we try to test a little more with, you know, put some feelers out what they're doing, or we might see something about what one of our competitors is coming out with. Okay. And then we'll kind of take that and kind of, you know, make it our way. Sure. And then kind of, you know, come up with our own version of what they have. Sure. So. And how do you test? Do you, do you get in touch with a certain, do you have a small group of customers that are willing to try new products or what is that testing process? It's kind of like that. Yeah. We have a small group of really good customers we, we might have that will say, Hey, we're thinking about coming out with this. Sure. They'll put it, they'll, they'll be nice enough and test it for, for us for quite a while. Give you some feedback. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Nice. That works out pretty well for us. And I promise we did not talk about this ahead of time. I'm just guessing at <laughs> its process. So, uh, that's good. I have to ask this. This is unbusiness related, but um, what's your favorite city in Europe? Probably London. Really? Yeah. Tell me why. Uh, I don't know. I know. I just, I think the history there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The history is really, I mean, it's just a neat city. It's kind of like New York City. It's like you can just walk around and see Absolutely. all kinds of neat stuff. Yeah. Um, that was probably... I mean, we, we, I go there a lot, so it's probably my favorite. You know, Barcelona is probably one of my second favorite, which is a great city. Barcelona is my favorite. It's yeah. my favorite city, yeah. It's yeah. a great, great city. And, and we've been to Dubai. I don't know if you've been to Dubai before. No, my is... wife has flown through there, and so okay. she spent a few hours walking around, you know, as she's had time. But yeah. no, I've never been to Dubai. Yeah. It's kind of very new. You know, everything's brand new there. It's sure. Like... I had a guest on, um, this, on this podcast. Uh, his name is uh, Omar, and he runs a fashion brand. And he's based out of London, but he hmm. grew up in Dubai. He's, his family's from Dubai, and so okay. he's back and forth all the time. Yeah. So we talked about that a little bit, but I, I'd love to check it out. I hear it's just crazy what it, they've accomplished. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's from nothing to, you know, huge city. World-class city. World-class, yeah, yeah, very very modern, very new. Everything's brand new over there. And But I'm with you on the old European, the history of the cities, like, yeah. a, you know, London or a Barcelona. They just, mm-hmm. It's just amazing to walk down those streets and think about yeah. the history, the culture, and and, uh, and, the, and the size. When you get into a city like a New York City where you can get lost, yeah. discover new places. It's kind of like that. London. You can kind of yeah. walk around. It's just, yeah, neat to see. You, you take the bus tours and just show this building that was, you know, built in you know, early 1700s, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Or 1500s, you know, churches to go back to before the United States is even, you know, founded. So it's kind of a neat thing to look at. So. And this coming from a gentleman who owns a company that was founded in 1889. 18, I know, that's right. And you're right. For Americans, we go, wow, 1889, <laughs> right. that's old. Yeah. 
uh, they've got stuff going on there from like you, like you said, fourteen, fifteen hundred. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty neat to see. Yeah. Hey, my guest today is Chris Jacobs. He's the president and CEO of Star Headlight and Lantern Company. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, and when we come back, we're going to hear a little bit more with Chris. So stick around. Folks, I hope you're enjoying today's show. I have one question for you. Are you interested in the story of private industry in America? Do you care about private business? Do you care about entrepreneurship and wealth creation and even a little bit of marketing and branding? If so, do yourself a favor and sign up for my newsletter. That's right. I've got a free newsletter that goes out once a week. You can go over to my website. It's MikeGaston.com, M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. Just shoot to the bottom of the page, the homepage there. And you'll see a form. All you have to do is put in your first name and your email address. I will never spam you. I will never sell your information. But what I will do once a week, I will send you an email that updates you on the content that I'm creating. I've got some great stuff in store. I'm working on some video essays that I'm really excited about. I'll keep you up to date on things like podcast episodes and articles that I'm putting out and even speaking engagements that I've got coming up. So if you're into anything that has to do with private business in America, I would highly suggest Highly recommend you get over to my website, get signed up, get in the system, and be kept abreast of the latest content coming out from yours truly. Now, guys, let's get back to today's show. And we're back. I'm Mike Gaston, your host of The Currency. We're joined today uh, by Chris Jacobs, the, the uh, president and CEO of Star Headlight and Lantern Company. Chris, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, I want to encourage people to check your company out. There's a lot of history on the site. They can see all the products that you guys make. If you want to check out the company, it's a really cool website. Name, it's star1889.com. That's just the uh, year that the company was founded. So go to star1889, 1889.com. And uh, you can check the company out. And also they have uh, Facebook, pretty active on Facebook. So Facebook page, YouTube channel, LinkedIn, all those links are on the company website. Yes. Yeah. So folks, make sure you check them out. And uh, I would say buy something, but if I, you know, I don't know if you, if uh, if people just the general public can buy. Do you, do you sell to consumers? We sell the lanterns to consumers. Okay. The, the hand lantern, the, the trainman's lanterns, we call sure. them. Yeah. That's okay. the only thing we sell on the website. Everything else goes through distrib- distribution. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But at the least, check out the history. I really enjoyed reading the history in the five generations. I thought that was fascinating. Chris, I guess the question I, I want to kind of kick off the second half with is, if you were to attribute, because we were talking a little bit about the success and the growth of the company, if yeah. you were to attribute it to one thing over the years, like what would you attribute your success to? I think a lot of it, um, one of them would be our employees. You know, we already have a good, great big base of employees. They kind of keep us going. They, you know, we're very... They're very um, loyal. I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to find is very loyal employees. They work hard for us and we, you know, we're good to them. But I think without good employees, you can't get to the next step. So I think that's really helped us out. Sure. And you mentioned earlier, you've got some employees that are multi-generational employees. Yeah, we do. We have a couple of families that two generations, almost a third generation too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Your kids go to school together. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) What um what do you attribute that to? So you've got this great group of people. What is it about your employees that make them special? Is it just that, well, we're down here in Avon and Avon just has good folks? Or you guys have 
Do you have a program to develop employees? Why do you have good employees? I think we, we do a lot of good, good trust cross-training also. Okay. So a lot of employees can learn different parts of the business. But I think, I don't know, I mean, I think it's just, we're like I said, we're good to our employees and um, we try to treat them well. We give them a decent wage and we, you know, we we do a lot for them, I think. And I think that helps and I think they really enjoy working here. We re- we have very low turnover mm-hmm. um, here, so it's been good to have good employees. And, you know, if in a crunch, if we need to get something out, a lot of them will stay late to help us get the, get the job done. Sure. So that, you know, really t- contributes that they really like working here and helps us out, too. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you a a question. There are different approaches to staffing a company. Some Mm -hmm. some folks are like, I want to get the cheapest I can get. I don't care if we churn because I'm looking at my balance sheet and it's all like I want that payroll nut to be as small as possible. The other is, you know, we want to invest in good people. We want to pay a fair wage. We want them to stay. We want them to have a career here. Why why choose that route? Why did why not go the cheap route? Because I think. We've done some of that also okay. with just local, just not local, but just basic, um, you know, factory workers. We've done the, the lower cost route and we've seen a lot of turnover, okay. obviously. So what, if we really like somebody and we think they're going to be a good, you know, gonna good fit for us, we don't mind paying them a little bit extra or paying them a, a fair wage to keep them here. Okay. So, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is there's a kind of a level of employment where there is more churn. People come in, it's more the simpler work, maybe you just work in a line or something. It's right. not well paid. And then you're keeping an eye on that group for talent. So it's almost like a funnel. You're bringing people really in. Is, yeah. And the folks that aren't a good fit, they kind of move on and do something else. Yep. Uh, maybe sometimes you have to move them on. Who knows? But <laughs> but then you're seeing people like, you know, this person's got good values. They're a hard worker. They, they seem like a star a star employee. A star employee. So there you go. Do you yeah. use that phrase? I don't. I think our human resource person does. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, heard it here first. That's people. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you're able to say, look, we want to pay this person better. We want to start cross-training. We're going to invest in this person. Yeah, we're going to invest in that. So we okay. try to invest in our people. Yep. That's really nice. I think in this uh, really good economy, too, it's harder to find labor. It's very hard. Yeah, we've had a hard time trying to find um, just factory workers right now. We know sure. we, we, we got to go through some temp, temp agencies every once in a while to get okay. some people. But even they're having a hard time finding people. So yeah. um, like I, for, for instance, I think we tried to get about five new people last week and about two of the five left. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's really hard turnover and it's hard to, I don't know, they're not looking or I don't know what's going on. Well, my understanding, I've spoken to some manufacturing folks like yourself and they're saying, well, gee, the problem is because the economy is so good, all the all the good folks that really want to work and are skilled, they're locked up and they're yeah. being paid. Like you're paying your good employees like, hey, we want to make sure we pay these folks. And and so then the people that are looking right now, because the, there's so many opportunities if you're finding people that they're at a different tier, yes. we'll say. Yeah. And so it's just tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I, I, uh, well, let's hope the economy stays healthy. I, I mean, hope it's it a good does. problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Yes. But how many Definitely. employees do you have? We have about 175. Okay. Yeah, well, that's a good. That's, that's a good that's number. A good number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is a lot. And does it go up and down seasonally, or stay pretty stable? It's pretty steady. Okay. Um, summertime, we'll get a little bit more. Just you sure. know, just get some summer help in. But yeah, it's pretty much stable about that all year. And, round. and are there some Jacobs, uh, the sixth generation, working here in the summertime at all? No, not yet. Okay. No, not yet. He. Um, our kids are a little younger than that, so they're, yeah. they're doing right. different things. Sure. And so hopefully in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great experience. Just yeah. the opportunity to be exposed to a business. Yeah, and definitely. 
I remember as a young kid, my father, uh, he managed a, a trucking company, and I would go in on the weekends and just sweep the docks for 10 bucks, you know? And, yeah. But it was just great to see where he worked and what it entailed, mm-hmm. and it gave me an appreciation. Yeah. And I like that $10. Back in the 70s, that was real money. That was real money yeah, back in the 70s, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I think I, so I think I swept the dock, and my other job was to empty the ashtrays. This is back when you smoked in the office. Right, so I'd right. go around, and yep. that was my, that was my uh, Saturday effort. <laughs> I liked it. It's good, though. Chris, let's talk a little bit about values. You were talking about employees and um, finding good folks and folks that fit. Do you like have kind of a company culture that's well-defined? Is it more of a casual, like we're just looking for good people, we know them when we see them, or is there a culture of this is what folks at Star believe, this is what we do, our vision, our values? Um, I would say it's a little bit of both. You know, we're obviously we like to keep the family values because we're a family company. We try to run it as a family type company and a little bit more generous or a little more relaxed than you would be if you're, you know, private or, um, publicly held and have to meet all these deadlines and these numbers and stuff. So we kind of keep more of an open feel to the company like that. So I think that really helps out too. What are some of the values? Like if you were to identify two or three things that you think really are critical for this business as far as characteristics or values, what are they? It's probably like, yeah, like loyalty and dedication. People are very dedicated to us. And we try to, if they're loyal to us, we're loyal to them. I think our values is we're just trying to keep a nice family feel to the company here, family feel to the company. You know, we try to talk a lot about what we can do, what we can do to improve all of us here a lot too. So. Sure. And I think about like the way, we, you know, we've run our family, my wife and I and other families, you know, families don't usually sit down with a, a sheet of here are the five values that we believe in. Yeah. A lot of times that's communicated through example. It's, you know, I'm behaving a certain way to model for my children. This is what it looks like to be a Gaston. This is how we treat people. This yeah. is what it means to be generous or hospitable. This is what it means to be honest. <sighs> yeah. And so a lot of it is just, you know, you're passing it along on the ways that you behave. Is that accurate for what it's yeah, more about I, the way you guys just do business? I think it's the way about we do business. Yeah. You yeah. know, just the way we feel. And, you know, like you said, we kind of have a good group of people and we try to keep everybody sure. happy. Sure. Chris, um, you know, every company goes through difficult times. You talked about the fire that the company went through generations ago. Uh, you know, I, during your time at the helm, has there been a big challenge that you've had to face? Um, the challenge, challenge has been trying to keep employees. Okay. We've had a hard time doing that. And, our, you know, trying to keep the sales up with a lot of Chinese, with a lot of imports coming in. Yeah, okay. That's probably the big, one of our biggest challenges is trying to keep ahead of the curve and, you know, we're family, we're American-made product. We're, you know, everything's made in, in-house yep. in the States. And it it works for a lot of people, but now they see a lot of import stuff coming in, a lot lower price. So it's really, you know, how do we dice that? How do we keep a level playing field? Do we have to drop prices? Do we give them more, you know, um, functions in our lights? It's just a, that's probably the biggest challenge is trying to keep up with what the technology is doing. It's got to be a lot of pressure from the outside market. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, way back when your uh, your ancestors uh, were running the company, you know, Chinese products were considered garbage. You right. know, like, oh, well, the Chinese steel market was terrible. <laughs> you know, they couldn't, you know, they're just a farming country. They couldn't do anything now. Like Chinese product is is sometimes better. It's more competitive. It's better built. It's like, wow, they, they've light years. So, yeah. Um, how do you compete with that? Like, if you crack the code, like, what's is there a secret sauce to beating that external uh, overseas competition? Well, in, in our business, I've, it's 
it's kind of interesting because a lot of the Chinese products in our business, not like the rest of the world, um, they're not they're basically made a little on the cheaper side. Ah, okay. So we can sell again. I mean, they might come in at a better price, but you know, the warranty, you know, we warranty our lights for about five years. Okay. And there's stuff a lot of, we've heard from customers that might buy it, but it lasts about six months and it falls apart. Or this isn't yeah. the quality just isn't there. The plastic isn't thick. The lenses are very thin. So it's just little stuff that we, they use to, to cut corners, which okay. we, we obviously don't do that. So we have a nice quality product. Or so you know, so people look to us. They look for the star name. They look for the quality of our products, and that's been really helping us out. So as a, again, as a marketer, I always tend to think through this lens. You've you've got a brand promise, and part of that promise is the higher quality. It's a better build, better make, better materials. And I would imagine that leads to, to lower co- total cost of ownership. Yes. You know, when you're talking, it reminded me of the company Harbor Freight. Have you ever gone to Harbor Freight Tools? No. no. So, they, they, you know, they, they're in these strip malls. I think they're all over the country. Uh, we've got one here in Rochester, at least one. But you can find almost everything. It's almost like uh, shopping in a, a, a discount store, but for tools. Mm. Air compressors and wrenches. <clears throat> but everything, uh, first of all, it's all coming from overseas yep china probably probably yep and it's really cheaply made so you might get a screwdriver set and it's three dollars but you're going to throw it away after the project the metal's just not good metal right right but i think people shopping there know that it's like look i can't afford a full uh expensive jack for my car but i don't know why you'd buy a cheap jack if you're gonna be under <laughs> right, that car right <laughs> <laughs> but they do sell them yes they do um but it, it kind of fits a certain need in the market meaning yeah. it, you buy it knowing i'm throwing this thing away yeah and for five bucks i don't care but I, I would imagine there's a whole segment of the market for you that's like, I don't want to buy something to throw away. I'm putting this out to bid like a police department. Right. And they've got to justify, because if they go buy new equipment in two years, right. under my budget, you know, I'm the mayor and this is under my budget, there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And that's what we see a lot too. Um, a lot of municipalities want, you know, obviously you're right. They don't want to change things out every six months. They want something that's going to last. It's going to be on the top of a truck for, you know, a couple of years. They yeah. don't want anything breaking down and sure. their budgets are, are what they are. Sure. Um, and in nice, you know, at least a lot of municipalities in the state still look for um, American-made products. They don't really want any of this yeah. stuff coming in from yeah. overseas. It's helps us out too. That's great. Uh, and, and I guess that story of being vertically integrated helps also because yeah. you're not just an assembler, <clears throat> you're making it all. No, and which is also nice because we can do a custom form too. Like now that everything's LEDs, ah, you can sure. do a lot of custom. Do you get a lot of that? Yeah, we do. Yeah, they want like a, a certain a certain flash pattern or we're doing a lot of dual color lights now so we can do two different colors in the same light. Okay. Um, which you can't get from overseas because they just build so many of them. So, And that helps us out a lot and people look to that. So it's kind of an, a nice little niche we can kind of get into being a, more of a you know custom builder. Sure. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would imagine that I uh, – that the, the – uh, the Asian, you know, manufacturers put a lot of pressure on the business, but it's encouraging that you guys are navigating way forward and that there's a lot of um, desire for a high quality product. Yeah, there really is. Sometimes it's discouraging. You know, you make something great and people are like, I don't care. I just want the cheap thing. Right. I know. Do you I run know. into that often or not really? Um, every once in a while we do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It depends on, you know, who, would, who we're selling it to. Yeah. Some guys are just smaller, you know, mom and pop shops just want something that's down and dirty cheap to get them get yeah. for their customers. So obviously we're going to lose that sale, but sure. the big ones we work with and try to get, you know, that bigger, um, bigger trucks or bigger, um, 
um, like say a big school bus or, or a bunch of trucks, like a whole yeah, like a um, fleet or something. Fleet, yeah, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Um, they'll look for something that's more quality made. Okay, yeah, that's fantastic. So that's that's been the biggest challenge. If you think about what you're most proud of, like what accomplishment it, on your watch are you most uh, proud of here for the company? Um, probably be getting into probably. A, going international, because we never did that before, so I'm probably trying to go over there. Yeah. And then we've come out with some really neat light bars and some LED sticks, which has been a huge market for us, too. So I'm kind of proud to be able to move the move the chain to the next um, generation of like technology, really. Sure. Where do you see the technology and the company going in the future? That's a good question. I mean, how much, you know, probably I would say smaller lights, are going to be, you know, everything's going to LED. I don't know what's going to be after that. You know, making LEDs smaller and smaller and brighter. So yeah. I think working with the newer LED technology, designing lenses around that technology, and probably getting into new markets. I'm thinking, you know, maybe getting into the ambulance market, which we're not into yet, or getting into the fire so truck. So ambulance. Oh, ambulance, gotcha. Yeah, yep, we're yep. not into that kind of market per se. So I look at those areas or, you know, a lot of those new traffic light stops, What's you know those crosswalks that have the flashing lights on yeah. now? Those yeah. are becoming pretty popular, and that's a new market we can get into. So wow, so you yeah, I mean it's interesting. I would have just assumed that you were in all those markets. There's a lot of upside opportunity. There for really guys. is. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of in a certain amount of market, but there's so many different you know markets we get into. So I find that a lot of times with business, even in my own one-man consulting practice, but like in business, often it's choosing not what I'm going to do, but what I'm not going to do, because there's only so many resources. Right. So yeah. how do you how do you navigate that? How do you decide? Hey, there's all this opportunity out there. How do you choose where to go and what not to do? I, it's it's tough. So we kind of you know listen to our sales manager and our regional guys and. Um, what what do they see the new next opportunity is? Okay. So right now it's really you know just adding or making the markets we're in bigger, having newer products, making smaller, every you know more LED lights. Sure. And then once we you know kind of get that set gets saturated, we move on to the next market. So okay. we're always looking ahead. It's just okay, maybe we just can't get there yet. We're yeah. kind of we still have some more we can do with this market right here. Like the police market's a big, a good example of that because that changes a lot. I mean. You know, you see police cars and their light bars are thinner, they're clear. As we talked about, and, and yeah. Talked about, yes. <laughs> and they're all, now they're getting more multicolors and sure. different functions. So we're trying to, if we can do, so there's still a lot of, we can add on to and grow in that market before Within we go on to something else. A lot of innovation opportunities. Yeah. 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 And, and like you guys did before, I mean, I, I, not that you have to go this route, but you could always do another acquisition too, right? Yeah. So there could be a player in Correct. the ambulance market right. and uh, you could say, hey, we, we could do a deal there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's always acquisitions out there. So Yeah. So as the owner, what do you spend the majority of your time on? Are you more an operations guy? You like to walk the floor? Are you more of because uh, you said acquisitions, not that I'm trying to pin you, but do you like to look out there for opportunities that are outside the business? What kind of gets you out of bed every morning? I I like walking the floors a lot. I mean, I'm more operations and marketing. Nice. I, I like the sales part of it. You know, I like traveling and seeing the customers. I do a lot of that. I have a okay. really good C, uh, CFO that it's kind of here always day to day and can can kind of run the day to day operations. If I'm not here, okay. Um, so I'm always looking out. What else can we get into? Whatever markets can we get into? What and what can talk to the customer? I like talking to the customers and see what they're looking for and sure. bring those ideas back to us and see how we can 
working. And I just like, and, then, and like I said, I like talking to people on the floor, you know, you know, five generations, you know, a lot of the, 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 yeah. the plays, you know, their kids and growing up. So it's sure. nice to kind of catch up with a lot of them. And you like that. So it sounds like you're a people person. Yeah. When it boils down to, yeah, that's yeah. nice. And is that, do you think that's common throughout your family or like, is, is Chris Jacobs like the, the previous Jacobs generations or no, I think we're all kind of like that. Yeah, okay. my, my dad was always like, likes to go out on the floor and talk to people. My grandfather, whatever, I remember, liked to talk to people on the floor. Sure. So it's kind of like, you know, our, our employees have been there for us. So, we, I mean, like we said, we've had a lot of, lot of longevity people. So it's yeah. nice to get on the floor and talk. Because that's where you kind of see what's going on and, sure. you know, what, what they're looking for, what they need. You know, what do you need to improve? You know, right. stuff like that. So I agree. And I think a lot of folks lose sight of the fact, you know, we hear business, we hear wealth creation, finance, sales, marketing, engineering. We hear all these functions. People lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, business is people. Yeah. And you probably know as a, as a I mean, whenever I talk to a business owner, you know, there's always that, that saying, oh, it's, it's not personal. It's strictly business. It's like anyone that owns a business knows that business is personal. Yeah. You have to rise above it. Sometimes people do things to you that you don't like and right. you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm not right. going to let this. Right. But anybody that says that business isn't personal has never owned a business. Never owned a business. That's right. It's yeah. your life, isn't it? Is it is your life. Yeah. yeah. You know, puts food on a lot of people's plates, puts food on our table, and it um, it's just the way of it, the way way of the world, really. Yeah, I think it's an amazing thing. I, I applaud you and all p- private business owners because for me, it's like you're just saying, it's an opportunity to do good work. You get to dig in and do something. You have freedom as an owner, but you have a lot of responsibility. But in the process of creating wealth and doing work that you like to do, you're making a place for other people to find fulfillment, to get paid, to get you know, their kids in good schools and to take vacations and buy houses. Yep. It helps the community. I'm sure that you guys are involved here in your local town. Yep. You probably yep. do some things to help the town yep. out and, yep. and they're, and they're grateful for that. Yes. And yep. it's such a virtuous, um, cycle mm-hmm. where everybody's benefiting, even through the hard times, right. uh, you, you know, you're helping each other. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's a fantastic thing. So, so I guess, uh, I'll ask this question. If, if you like people, um, you know, you're proud of the, the things that you've accomplished as a business. What's the one thing that kind of motivates you on a day-to-day basis as an owner? Um, what gets me out of, what keeps yeah, what, you moving every day? Yeah, what gets you out of bed? What keeps you going? Yeah. Probably just for the business to go on to the, to the next generation. Ah, you okay. Know? You know, I do really, you feel pressure because you're number five. You feel I know, like I know. I got to make sure this hands off. Or... I know. No, I mean, like I said, our kids are are still young for that. But you know, obviously, a family company you want to keep it going to the next generation. So I sure. used to try to, you know, I've got it to five, and I'm looking forward to move it to the six. And so you kind of get out of bed, and say, what can I do to make this keep this business going? How what can I how, how can I grow it? Right, make and it valuable. Make it valuable for the next generation. Yeah, and it's tough too because you never know. Your kids might decide they want to be doctors and attorneys. Right. And they right. might not say, I, they might, like I know some of my kids, uh, they watched, like I owned an agency during the economic crisis. And uh-huh. I was worried because things were so rough. I mean, it was, it was tough to get through that. We got through it, yeah. but I thought my kids are seeing the stress and I don't want them to put, I don't want them to get a bad taste about business right. ownership. Now that they're adults, I see they're still entrepreneurial and I don't think it put them off. That's good. But you never know with you your never kids know. Yeah. what they're going to want. You and never know. Yeah. You could have one or none of them, really. So it's yeah. really, you know, you just hope one of them will, would like to come on and take sure. over someday. So sure. that's, that's what you always hope for in the family business. Chris, as we wrap up, like what's one piece of advice you give to other owners? 
from your experience in life? Um, just watch the market be good to your employees. Watch the market be good to your employees. Yeah. Folks, my guest today is Chris Jacobs. He's the uh, president and CEO of Star Headlight Lantern and Company. Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Guys, if you haven't, uh, please do me a favor. Check out their website. You can go to Chris's website at star1889, star1889.com. You can learn about the company, read their history, see some of their products, and uh, check out this really cool business with a bunch of great people doing great work here in Avon, New York. If you haven't already, do me a favor and uh, connect with me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Mike Gaston uh, and uh, give me a shout and I'll make sure to connect with you and subscribe to the program. You can find The Currency anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. That would be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google, and so on. Guys, I love you all and I'll catch you in the next episode.